My Weekly's Magical Flying Bookshop, your feel-good fiction podcast, sponsored by Pavers. Pop on your favourite pair of slippers, curl up in the comfiest chair, and listen to your favourite authors chat away in My Weekly's Magical Flying Bookshop, landing wherever you are. So come on in. And join me, Claire Gill, our bookshop host, as we hear from one of my weekly's favourite authors. Like any good story, there are three parts to our podcast. In the first chapter, we kick off with a short story or an extract from our guest's latest book. The middle chatty chapter is Quiz the Author, where the author answers all your questions. Followed by Book Post, our final cosy chapter with a roundup of the hotly tipped book of the week. This week, we are joined by the talented Cathy Bramley. Penned as feel-good, comforting fiction, Cathy Bramley is the Sunday Times best-selling author of Patchwork Family, My Kind of Happy, as well as romantic comedies, Appleby Farm and the Plumberry School of Comfort Food. After spending 18 years running her own marketing agency, she always had a book in her hand and now has found her dream job, which came from a blog about a house renovation. She loves speaking to her readers and here at My Weekly, we love speaking to the queen of feel-good fiction. Known for making Christmas wreaths and candles, Cathy Bramley is all things Christmas. Welcome, Cathy, to the My Weekly Magical Flying Bookshop. Thank you, Claire. What a lovely welcome. Thank you so much. Chapter 1, Reading Corner. Make yourself at home with a comfy chair and a cuppa as Cathy reads you an extract from her latest book, The Merry Christmas Project. My weekly prides itself on its fabulous fiction. Take it away, Cathy. Thank you, Claire. I'm going to read you a little bit from the beginning of The Merry Christmas Project. It's not the beginning of the chapter, but this bit is where Mary and her boyfriend Daniel have gone hiking and they've just sat down for a little picnic. For as long as I could remember, all I'd wanted was a proper family Christmas. And if we were Mr and Mrs, well, that would just be the icing on the Christmas cake. If I proposed to him right now, it could actually happen. All it took was a question. Just one simple question. I felt the prickle of heat all over my body as the idea took shape and my insides began to tingle with adrenaline. Could I do it? This was the perfect setting, the perfect occasion, and we loved each other. Admittedly, it was a bit spur of the moment, but ever since we met, I'd been practising my married signature just in case. Right, I blew out a sharp breath. I was going to do it. Daniel, my pulse speeded up as I reached for his hand and dropped onto one knee. Yes, Mary, he looked bemused. What are you up to now? I love you with all my heart and I want to be with you for the rest of my life. I swallowed, aware that my mouth was suddenly dry. So, will you marry me? The air around us was so still, the moment so heavy with tension, that for a few seconds I forgot to breathe. I watched his eyes dart left and right as a succession of emotions crossed his face. He gave a hollow laugh. It's not February the 29th, is it? No, I said lightly, but you don't really believe that women only have one day in four years to propose and men get whatever it is, do you? 1,265, Daniel supplied quietly. He was brilliant at mental arithmetic. And you're right, it isn't very fair. We held eye contact and I could read his thoughts as clearly as if they were tattooed across his forehead. 
The fact was that all those possible days had gone by when he could have asked me to marry him, but he hadn't. Mary, he murmured, reaching a hand to my cheek, I'm really flattered, honoured to be asked. Good, because I don't plan on ever doing it again. It's nerve-wracking, I said shakily, ready to brush the whole fiasco under the carpet and rewrite it as a joke. So, I attempted a casual smile. What do you say? Look, Mary, I really do love you, but... He drew in a breath and rubbed his hand through his hair distractedly. I'm sorry, I just don't want to be tied down at the moment. Not through marriage, or babies, or even a kitten. In fact, now that you've brought it up, I'm fairly sure I never will. I really am sorry. Oh, my eyes burned with mortification. This was earth-shattering. Why had we never talked about this? He didn't want anything that I wanted. Nothing. I had no idea that was how you felt. What's wrong with me? I said this out loud, but it was as much to myself as to him. Regret started to seep into my bones. We'd been having such a nice day. Trust me to do something impulsive and ruin it. Nothing. Nothing at all, he insisted. You're amazing. This is all on me. I do love you, though. You do believe me, don't you? I nodded, aware of the tickling sensation of fresh tears on my cheeks. I'd never doubted that he loved me. I thought we were meant for each other, that we wanted the same thing until today. Good. He kissed my forehead. This doesn't have to change anything. Sure, I murmured, swallowing down the lump in my throat. But of course it did. Inevitably, it changed everything. Oh, thanks for that fabulous extract, Kathy. We can't wait to hear some more about this novel after this short break. We hope you're enjoying My Weekly's Magical Flying Bookshop. Whether you're curled up at home in your favourite pair of slippers or listening as you stroll in the perfect pair of comfortable shoes. We're sponsored by Pavers, the family-run shoe company founded by Kathy Paver in 1971. Oh, happy 50th birthday, Pavers. With hundreds of styles available for women and men, Pavers prides himself on having a wide range of sizes available, one to 10 for women and six to 14 for men, as well as a huge range of widths for each size and style, all so that you can find your perfect style. And you can feel good about shopping there too, Pavers is the first major shoe retailer to achieve carbon neutral international certification and has given away more than a million pounds to date through the Pavers Foundation, where employees can apply for grants for their local community. Plus, until the end of August 2022, My Weekly's Magical Flying Bookshop listeners can get free delivery. Just quote Weekly 1, that's W E E K L Y 1, as in the number 1, when you order. So whether you're tucked up at home, out for a walk, heading into the office, or dressing up for a special occasion, find your perfect style at pavers.co.uk. That's p-a-v-e-r-s Now, let me top up my tea and then let's get back to the episode. Chapter 2. Quiz the Author This is the chapter where you get to quiz your favourite author. And don't forget, you can send in your questions for future guests. Leave a voicemail on 01382 575 486 or record a voice memo on your phone and email it to flyingbookshop at myweekly.co.uk or just send an email to that address with your question. 
follow us on social media to find out who our next guests are or head over to our website www.myweekly.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Here we are on our bookshelf with its cosy Christmas cover, The Merry Christmas Project. As the blurb says, Christmas has always meant something special to Mary, even without a family of her own. This year, her heart may be broken, but her new candle business is booming. The last thing she needs is another project. But when a hometown annual event needs some fresh, festive inspiration, Mary can't resist. Cole loves the project too. As a single dad, his Christmas wish is to see his kids again. But this Christmas, magic is in the air for these two strangers. Anything can happen at Christmas. Kathy, you are the queen of light-hearted romantic <laughs> fiction. This is your second Christmas book, first being Comfort and Joy and 13th in total. The dates on the chapters felt like a countdown to Christmas. Was this idea for your reader that they could sort of follow the build-up through October and into November and then December? Because it kind of, when I was reading it, made me think, oh, I've got to get these things done for Christmas and it's coming up and... I almost didn't want to finish it because I wanted to slow down and read it in the months that it should be. But was this a conscious sort of decision to write it like that? Yeah, it was. Um, I think it's really nice. That whole build up to Christmas is is very fast, isn't it? And we all feel very stressed and, you know, and our to-do lists get longer and longer and nothing ever seems to get crossed off. But the other reason for doing it was because this is the first time I've actually done a dual narrative like this, where I had the man and the woman, you know, as, as they meet and they get to know each other. And I wanted for the reader to see that certain things were happening on the same day. So what was happening to Cole in one place was also, you know, something else was happening to Mary in another place. So I wanted that, you know, that development of the relationship to be very, to feel very current and, you know, um, for people to be able to follow it along. This is the first time I've ever written from a man's point of view. Um, so to see a man getting ready for Christmas and how different that is and how he was missing his children and and all that side of things. So it, it felt very natural to have that sort of calendar and that working towards the big day. It definitely did. And it was very relatable having those two viewpoints. And I think it wasn't just the build up to Christmas. Like you say, it was the build up to their relationship because to start with, they hadn't even met each other and you had got these two sort of viewpoints running side by side. So I really enjoyed that. And I wanted to know, as you were sort of building this up and building up to Christmas throughout the book, do you enjoy the build up to Christmas? Are you a Christmas planner or are you a sort of last minute present grabber? And when do you start getting ready for Christmas? Because I have to confess, I watched a Christmas film in August with my daughter. <laughs> so I wanted to know if that's something that you kind of were able to write parallel to the seasons or it was something that you just had to write, you know, winter in the summer. Well, funnily enough, you do have to write whenever you have to write and you have a deadline and regardless of uh, of what time of year your book's set. So when I wrote Comfort and Joy, it was, as you mentioned, it was it's a short ebook, but I wrote that in July and I, I sat there in a little sundress with a fan on me and I was absolutely boiling, talking about roasting 20 turkeys in the um, in the cookery school. But this time, um, for the Merry Christmas Project, I was actually writing it exactly this time last year. So it was the build-up to Christmas. And um, I think the book starts, well, there's, there's the prologue, which is in August, but then the rest is sort of mid-October. And that's pretty much when I was started to write. So it's quite interesting to see that, you know, to see the seasons change and, uh, you know, the the nights get 
darker and, you know, that sort of thing. So I really did feel as if I was writing what was happening around me, which was nice. In terms of whether I'm a planner or not for Christmas, I am a planner for everything, I must admit. I do plan. Um, but I'm when I'm writing a first draft, I just can't do anything else other than write my book. Um, and I just put everything off. So the plan with this book that I'm currently writing is I'm going to try and finish by the 30th of November. And then I'm going to blitz Christmas after that. So it's all going to be put on. It's planned, but it's it's going to be last minute. <laughs> that sounds like a great plan. Um, I think you're not alone, actually. Quite a few other authors that I've spoke to, for example, Adele Parks does that. She just sort of goes into this hibernation. And I think you have to, to focus and like you say, to get into your character's head almost. Um, I mean, we all live Christmas here at My Weekly. And in your latest book, you have so many festive references was it a purposeful decision to call the main character Mary? Um, I know in your last book, My Kind of Happy, Fern was a florist, which made me giggle because you've got sort of these interlinked names with what they do. <laughs> do you have a lot of fun with the characters' names, but also the element of that entrepreneur spirit that your main characters always seem to have, some of them the kitchen table hobbies or some of them actually, you know, with, with their own businesses in all different guises from floristry to candle making how much fun is it to put that in your book it's one of my favorite things about writing books is that um I can explore things that I love uh through my main character's jobs you know and I think uh you mentioned in the intro that I used to run my own marketing agency and a lot of the experience that I have, you know, in biz other businesses is because I've, I've worked on those with those sorts of clients, you know, from cookery schools to stately homes to, um, uh, you know, all sorts of things. And, um, I do love that. Um, I do love that aspect of it. And I've always had an entrepreneurial side to me ever since I was a teenager. And I love sort of letting those letting my main characters have free reign and develop businesses that they're really passionate about I, I know it's a joy to read you almost feel like you're experiencing these things with them you know the the industries with them do you do much research do you you know in terms of the candle making in this book did you actually try it out how did you go about that I, I do normally do everything um that I that I've you know that I write about um I had a book called The Vintage Summer and I went and helped on an English vineyard brought the harvest in and um, got really involved in that absolutely loved it floristry I went and did a floristry course um a three-day floristry course for um my kind of happy and now for the candle one I I have got a, ca a candle set <laughs> making kit but I just haven't got around to making it yet but I, I I'll keep saying this weekend this weekend but I did watch a lot of research I watched loads and loads of um, YouTube videos about it and my daughter actually ended up coming in swooping in and making a batch of candles while I was sitting making notes so um so I've you know I love it and I love those sort of crafty things um so so yeah it's a great joy to me uh to to bring those sort of elements into my books I know that feeling because I saw in the back of here the instructions to make the candle and I was like wow we are going to do this at half term and do you know what Kathy <laughs> half term has been and gone and you just kind of run out of time but I can't wait to do that with them there's something therapeutic I think about the wax melting very much so and so that really came across in your mm, book in your mm. description so you could tell that you'd kind of 
done a little bit and done a, a bit mm. of research about yeah. it. I've done a lot of research about the fragrance oils as well and, you know, how to blend them and, and what the different smells are. And, you know, so although I haven't actually physically done it myself, I've done lots of research and um, I'm really lucky that one of the marketing team, Orion, is really crafty. Um, so she, <laughs> she'll do all sorts of calligraphy and, you know, personalized baubles and all sorts. So she's, she's a great person for, um, lots of creative touches for, for my books and my, um, my proofs as well. She's always got something on the go. I always feel with your books as if you're giving me a freebie, you're giving <laughs> me that extra bit. What's going to be in the back of Kathy's next book? I mean, you do have these added, you know, crafting activities or recipes, and it kind of is like this 3D element. Look, read the book, but you can also do this at the same time. And it brings, through your writing, you bring the senses through to the reader, but also through these activities. Um, so is that really good fun to do? And, and does it, is it like chicken and egg? Does the idea of the activity or the recipe come first and then the book, or is it the, the other way around? Uh, with Mary and Bright uh, candle making business, um, in fact, the book was originally going to be called Mary and Bright. Um, and so I came up with that and then I came up with the whole story around it and then we changed the title. Um, so I, it, it, every book is different, to be quite honest with you. I'll sometimes think, oh, I, I really want to write a book set in a vineyard or a stately home. And other times I just have an idea for a premise if, if you know, two characters or, you know, what would it be like if, um, if a woman who didn't want, who wanted to cancel Christmas ended up being in charge of Christmas, you know, so it, it can come from all sorts of, from all sorts of little ideas and it can be just one tiny spark. Um, you can, no books are ever the same really, no two books are ever the same. It must be like you're always sort of got that glint of an idea as you're going through you know, sort of going on holiday or just being at home and, and just having these spark of ideas. I mean, certainly as a reader, it um, is a really nice, fun element. And I think you've got the best job being able to go and try all these things and do all these things <laughs> yeah. for your writing. Yeah, that's tr that's really true, actually. Um, one of my friends is a writer, Isabel Broom, and uh, she's writing a book at the moment set in Corfu. Um, in a particular bay in Corfu. So of course the two of us had to go off and, and research it. And actually now we've done three trips to the same place. Um, she's using it to for research and to put that really Greek element into her book. And I'm just using it to be away from home and write like the wind uh, to get my book done, you know, without distraction. So, um, so yes, it, and it, it's a, not only is it great for my own books to have ideas, but it's great when your friends who are authors have have ideas as well and you can follow along with them so it's yeah it's a great job uh, all our uh, readers and listeners at home are going to be like oh wow she's so lucky <laughs> I think it's nice as well there is such a good sense of uh, friendship within the writer's community the author's community and like you said you've gone away with Isabel there you know to help support her but also to have that time away so that's something that comes through a lot on the podcast is that authors supporting each other which is really really lovely to hear talking about support and there were a lot of sort of generational elements to your book about Colstad in the residential home um it was almost like a subplot of second chances in life and love how important was it to show that the older generation can still enjoy life and love 
and it's not sort of age dependent. It's really important, especially as I get older. You know, I don't want to think, you know, life ends at 70. Absolutely not. Um, and I think that, you know, why shouldn't people that carry on enjoying their lives that, that maybe the things that they want to do change, but, you know, there's just no reason why we can't still fall in love and uh, have a great time and do what we want to do, follow our passions as we get older. So yeah, absolutely. And one of my other books, um, A Patchwork Family, that has a multi-generational theme to it as well. Well, I think that um, love is important at any stage of life, whether you're 15 or 75. So uh, I think it's really important to him to bring those themes in into books. Um, you know, it's everybody wants to feel that they can, there's no age limit on falling in love. And, and of course, why should they be? Completely agree. And I'm sure our listeners will. And there is that strong sense of sentiment with particularly Mary's past Christmases and she reminisced over her late mum and then the not so nice Christmases in the children's home. Was this deliberate to show that Christmas can be a difficult time for some, but also that sense of being able to reinvent Christmas so you can create a positive Christmas, even if it's not been so positive in the past? I think Christmas is a really special time for Mary. It's had She's had good times and she's had bad times. And um, I think what we need to explore is the fact that Christmas is never going to be an absolutely fantastic time for everyone and why should it be you know we are we do hold it up as some day where we're all supposed to be happy um but you know i think developing her own christmas traditions is something that she feels really strongly about she hasn't got a strong family background but she now thinks okay this is my life um and i'm going to start establishing some christmas traditions of my own so i think it's all about you know doing what's right for you and making as positive a thing out of it as you wish really and there is this sense of grief as well the darker shades of Christmas with Cole's dad and Mary's grief um of of sort of past relationships that have been have gone all of these elements it didn't feel dark it didn't feel depressive instead it felt actually really uplifting how important is it to weave in these scenarios life if you like you know the shades of life um and make your book essentially uplifting and cosy? It's an interesting question because um, you do get from certain readers or, you know, reviewers, that, well, this is so predictable and it's all fluffy. And, and actually, I don't think my books are, are predictable or fluffy. I think what I try and do is write about real issues that happen to everyday, ordinary people, but I try and put a positive spin on that and I try and bring an uplifting you know, um, twist to it, if you like. And uh, I want things to be realistic, um, but I also want to bring hope with my stories. So, you know, I want people to end up with a smile on their face at the end of it. But I don't think it's um, right to just avoid any difficult subject. You know, we don't all go along and have a fantastic life all the time. There are ups and downs. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I want those things, real things to be woven into my stories so that, you know, people can relate to them. I found it very relatable. And the other thing that I really wanted to know um, in terms of being relatable was the place, the setting of Weatherly. Um, it has this Victorian town feel to it. You know, the Victorian Christmases with the old bank um, where she, Mary was working in the workshop to craft her candles. And there's the town clock as well. Did you have a particular place in mind where you got your inspiration from 
for Weatherly for that setting? I don't think I did, to be honest. Um, no, I think I just I just included some elements that I thought I'd like. <laughs> I suppose it's a bit of Stratford in there. Um, although it's set in Derbyshire, technically, there's a little bit of Stratford, you know, those Tudor buildings, the black and white. Um, so there's a little bit of that. Um, but no, not really. It's just all made up. It's very pretty. And it's nice to see those elements. I can't wait to read your next book in this fictional seaside town. I hope that you've been visiting lots of seaside places to get research for that. It sounds great. There is also in your books, not just sort of the regional relatable um, characters and the areas, but there's this modern element of Hester, Cole's sister. And it really made me giggle because she's a presenter on what you've called the retail therapy show. I guess a kind of QVC show. Um, my mum is addicted to these shopping channels. So I could really relate to this character coming in. I thought it was interesting that perhaps 10, 10, 15 years ago, if you're going to put a celebrity figure in, it probably would have been somebody from, you know, reality TV or so on. But you've put the face of the shopping channel, which again, it felt really relatable. Why, why did you decide to have this strong female character whose job it is, um, you know, to, to sell all these shopping products? <laughs> um. I don't know. It just popped up, really. I just I knew that I I wanted her to be Cole's sister. Um, I didn't want her to be mega famous, so that uh, you know she was she lived in London or you know. Uh, so I just I just thought about what what could I have that um, I think I've had celebrity gardeners before in other books. So I just I just thought, and then I thought, oh, and if if she said on the TV show, uh, she can get, Mary might be able to go on the TV show. So I, I sort of, you know, put all those little elements together and, and, and thought of it. And actually I'm now writing a, stop press, I'm writing a sequel to this book. So the, the TV show can, appears again in the, in the sequel. Oh, it really felt like it needed a sequel. There were so many things that you thought, oh, where is this going to go? So I'm super excited about that. Will that be out next year? Next Christmas, this time next year. Fabulous. That's brilliant to hear. And I'm hoping there'll be more Christmas trees in there because I'm not going to spoil it, but the Christmas trees around the square the descriptions were so beautiful. I love the idea of community, community coming together and, you know, this idea of a community project. Have you been involved in any community projects and where did you get your inspiration from? Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever been involved in a community project. I literally just, ideas pop into my head and I think, oh yeah, I like that. Um, I think for this one, Mary goes to a meeting where she has to put forward her ideas for the Christmas project. And I remember thinking, and I was at home, I was writing Mary's chapter where she's like, what, what's my idea going to be? And I'm sitting there, the author going, what is her idea going to be? And it just, it took me a while. I, and I couldn't, for ages, I couldn't think what her idea was going to be. And then it just came to me. Um, and I thought, oh, thank goodness for that. And I could almost feel Mary's relief at the fact I'd actually got an idea for her. Um, so it just, yeah, I just thought about the fact that actually the Christmas tree is such a universal symbol of Christmas, isn't it? And, um, and, and nearly everyone has a Christmas tree, no matter whether it be 
real, artificial, huge, tiny, you know, an LED one for your desk. Uh, you know, it's something we can all relate to. So I thought, yeah, Christmas trees, that'll be the, that's the one. Excellent. And I think it is that symbol, isn't it, of, you know, the fresh pine and, and just the, the glowing lights that brings everybody together. Um, I want to know, you've You've written this one, obviously, around Christmas time, but you've also written summertime. Do you have a particular favourite time of the year to write about? I suppose most of my books have been summery. Um, This is actually, The Merry Christmas Project is the first full-length Christmas novel I've written. Um, But I do really like it. I really enjoyed writing Christmas. I think... Um, you sort of almost know when it's going to finish as well, <laughs> you know, where, where it's going to end on Christmas Day or around the Christmas season. So I do quite like that element of, um, you know, that time frame. Um, but I do love summer as well. I love I love sunshine. I love warm weather. So um, and it, and England in the summer uh, when the sun's shining is, you know, beautiful place. It is definitely. You've said there that you'll be revisiting Cole and Mary and you know, with their with Mary's candle making business and Cole's building company, are you going to to is this going to be the end, the the final one, or will you revisit them in summer? Do you think at all? I honestly don't know at the moment. I've got I've only got as far as uh, as next Christmas, so we'll have to see what happens after that. I have got an idea for another story for them, but I'm not sure whether it'll happen straight away. It might be one for the future. Um, in my head. Um, it was going to be Christmas, but actually you've given me an idea. Maybe I should do a summer one. We'll see. Ooh, I really warmed to those two characters and all, all of the characters, you know, particularly the community committee. It, it did make me giggle because I thought, gosh, I've seen these kind of characters in everyday life. So that, that did make me giggle. And the warmth from Cole's dad as well and, and the residential home. Talking about warmth, I hear that you used to read or you might still read Under the Duvet with Torchlight. <laughs> I mean, we all have reading habits. Um, mine is particularly bad because when I was reading your book and all my other lovely Christmas books that I've got to read I have to have a cup of hot chocolate you know with a bit of cinnamon in even if it's hot outside that's what I have to do to get into the mood do you have any other reading habits um, that you've developed since you've become a best-selling author I, I've always read I've always read every I can't go to sleep unless I've read a few pages so I love a paperback I do love a paperback um, I remember those books you know much more clearly than a kindle book however i just love reading on my kindle it's just so great to go to bed turn the lights out hold your kindle it's lit and then you can drop off to sleep and you know you don't have to worry about where you were in your book it just you know there's the kindle the next morning uh, so I, I do love that and of course you can read without disturbing anyone else as well which is always a bonus so yeah reading in bed perfect i mean sometimes i'll go can I go to, it's half past eight. I know it's a bit early, but can I go to bed and read my book, you know? And that, and yes, of course I can if I want to. Why not? Other people stay up and watch TV, don't they? So I'd just rather read. It's definitely a lovely thing to do, you know, at night. It just kind of relaxes you. My problem is I just carry on reading and I forget what time it is. <laughs> but it is such a nice thing to do. And talking of nice things, we've got some brilliant reader questions. Um, we've got a question from Jenny and she's actually phoned this through to us. So let's see if we can go to a clip from her. Hello, this is Jenny Worstall with a question for Cathy Bramley. Cathy, how important is it for you that your novels have a happy ending? 
It's really important to me. Uh, every single book will have a happy ending. It might not be the ending that I think is going to happen when I start off writing the book, but yes, I do like a happy ending. I like to finish a book myself with a big smile on my face. With a, ah, that was a lovely story. Um, and so a happy ending for me is it's part of what I, you know, it's the genre that I write. You would expect a happy ending. And um, I'm always happy to deliver that happy ending. Brilliant. What a great answer there, Cathy. We've also got one. They seem to be really interested in the way that you end your books because Dina Kirk has sent one in and she said, what frustrates her sometimes, she's just finished a book by her favourite author and the last short chapter, everything went really quickly and the ends didn't tie up. But she said that you kind of managed to tie up all of these ends and she says, how important is that to you to make sure that your readers aren't shortchanged? Is it down to being well planned um, or do you just start at the end? Oh, that's a really good question. I do plan my books uh, quite in quite a lot of detail. So I do know the beginning and the end before I get going. Um, however, as I'm, as I'm going through the book and the characters develop, inevitably little subplots will pop in and then I'll have to, I, and I always think as I'm moving it all along, I as I'm going through the book, I'm thinking, right, where are we? Where's everyone's story at? And have I, have I, when was the last time Nell has been involved and what, what's going on in her life? So I try and move everybody's story on. And so that I finish that story, little story thread by the end of the book. Um, so for example, in this story, Nell, um, Nell is Mary's best friend and she has a few issues, control issues with her mother. And so by the end of it, she's managed to put her foot down and, you know, tell her mom, what uh, that she's in her house and it's her rules. So, you know, all those little niggles throughout the book, I try and iron out by the end. So yes, it is important to me. And if I haven't done something um, afterwards, I'm always really annoyed with myself, but I can usually sort that out in the edit. But yeah, it's really important, I think, to have a satisfying end to a story for every every character that's that's in the book. Oh, that's really fascinating. Thank you, Cathy. I love hearing how you get to this point because you just think, oh, you start with this blank page and then you create all these plots and subplots and characters and you know you do seem to be sort of living and, and breathing these characters as you go thank you for all our readers questions and kathy for your amazing answers remember if you've got an all-important question to ask your favorite author then check out the my weekly website to find out which big authors are coming up on the podcast that's www.myweekly.co.uk forward slash podcasts and of course, send those questions to flyingbookshop at myweekly.co.uk. After all these fascinating insights from Cathy, you're sure to be wanting a copy of the Merry Christmas Project. Don't forget, you can swipe down to the episode notes to buy your copy. Chapter 3, Book Post. Here we are in our final chapter with author Cathy Bramley. After rifling through our stacks, the book that has made it through to the My Weekly Magical Bookshop letterbox this week is Always in December by Emily Stone. As always, we promise not to reveal any spoilers, but just enough to entice you to read. The blurb says, Always in December starts with a letter and ends with a love story, but life is about more than just the beginning and the end. It's about the journey we take the people we meet, the places we see 
and every little moment we experience along the way. In this novel, Josie and Max are just beginning their story. What will follow, neither of them could have expected, and it will lead them to the most unforgettable places from London to New York, Scotland to the picturesque English countryside, and change their lives in the most extraordinary way. Before I talk about this book, Cathy, I need to let out a massive breath because it really was one of those books that stays with you. A book that sort of taps you on the shoulder and then just sits there. There is a twist that I'm not going to spoil, but I will say I'm glad that the author brought this particular theme into light with Max. We can't talk about that sort of ending. But there is this sense of friendships And without any spoilers, how important is it to highlight the reality of lives, of things people go through, and then transform it into mainstream fiction to put a spotlight, if you like, on difficult topics? I think it's absolutely vital to do that. Uh, I I like to do it in my own books, and and, uh, I know, I think Emily's done it absolutely brilliantly here, uh, because life isn't perfect. Life isn't a straight road. Uh, there are bumps along it. And, um, you know, our job is to, as, you know, is to navigate that, isn't it? And to to live as life as, as well as we can. Um, I absolutely love this book. And um, I, I, I was blown away by the story and, you know, by the end that uh, that you, as you quite rightly said, we can't mention. But it is definitely, definitely something that I recommend um, your listeners to go out and get. It's a brilliant book. It's a kind of journey of a book for me, an absolute journey. And with these COVID travel restricting times, I mean, I think this weekend we went away and it's the first time we've stayed away from home in two years. So to read this, um, it was a pure tonic to be able to visit the places in the book Um how did you find that travel element of the book? And was there a particular place or setting that you most enjoyed in it? Oh, I really enjoyed it. Um, in fact, the last, uh, almost the, just before COVID, um, I went to New York. Uh, so I think that was probably the section of the book that resonated the most with me. My daughter had four months at university in Manhattan um, and uh, she sort of just came back just before the start of the pandemic, thank goodness. Um, so that was one of my last trips pre-COVID. And uh, I love New York and I love being able to visit it again, sort of in the eyes of, of Josie and, and Max, really. Um, I think it's one of the places that my husband and I always said um, we could see ourselves living there when we were younger, before we had children. Um, we could see ourselves living in New York. So I, I think it's a great place to be for sort of people in their sort of 20s and 30s and yeah, great to visit it in the pages of a book. I completely agree. And it's also a true tearjerker. I mean, I went through a fair few packets of tissue. I do think this is, it's a journey really about her beginning to love herself, I think, and sort of accepting her life, accepting what happened to her when she was young um, and sort of learning to love life. Um, she'd he- She's held back. Um, and then she finally gives her heart. And although it's not strictly Christmas, I f- it do feel that a lot of the themes in it really are resonate at Christmas because of the strong themes of family and and love and sort of getting together. So uh, it's a lovely story um, and it is good. If, if you like, if you don't particularly like all the, 
too much Christmas in your novels, then this is a good one to read this this uh, this season, I think. Absolutely. And there is also that sense of Max and Josie building up this intense connection. Did you connect with these characters? And how did you feel about that idea of the paths of life colliding of finding that spark with somebody. I love that element of a story, that sort of um, sliding doors element of story. In fact, I've um, the book I'm writing now has elements of that in it, which is uh, which is really exciting to write. And I, I like to see a relationship that builds slowly, and you know, it's not just like love at first sight madly in love you know and off they go I like to see that sort of the build-up of a relationship and they were very much friends weren't they before before things moved on um and I, I like to see that because you then you can see a real relationship between the two of them um develop and they were both reluctant I think that's the that was the interesting thing they were both reluctant to get involved with the other um so it, yeah, it was, it's really nice to see that build it was definitely a journey of traveling but also of seeing that and The author, Emily Stone, sadly lost her mum at the age of seven and she says that she wanted to write something that reflected the fact that you can't um, sort of avoid this grief, that you carry it into adulthood long after you supposedly have, you know, moved on from it. And Christmas can be hard for some and yet we build up this almost idealistic image on December the 25th of how it should be. So how important do you think it was for the author to explore her own grief and also the difficulties that people can face at Christmas? I can't really speak for Emily. Um, I mean, I remember her telling me the story of her mum a few years ago. And I remember thinking, you know, how what a, a, an amazing young woman she is. And um, to, I think it's obviously something like that that happens when you're young. It, it it's part of you. It becomes part of you. And that is part of your story. Um, and I hope that this has been cathartic for her to, to write about it. She certainly does it extremely well. Um, I think, you know, grief is part of, of life and it's something that, you know, we all have to deal with at some point. Again, it's very relatable. Um, but I think, you know, it makes us what we are and it, it, it comes out in our stories. I think the way that she wrote that into the book through the form of letters, I mean, letters in books is, is not something that's new, but it's always so effective. I'm thinking of Cecilia Hearn's PS I Love You amongst others. Why do you think letters are so effective in fiction? Is it that sense of kind of monologue that personal voice maybe it's uh I've actually just written a, a letter from one character to another in my book but I th- and I think for me at that moment when I was writing it it was because the character can put themselves down on the page so purely this is this is them this is the essence of them this is really coming from the heart and um, maybe that's something that can't always be done as easily when you're talking to someone um you know there's there's no getting away from the words on the page. I think maybe that's it. You know, it's it really is from the heart. It really did come across. Finally, talking about beautiful things, there is a beautiful quote at the beginning of the book. To appreciate the beauty of a snowflake, it is necessary to stand out in the cold. For me, this sums up always in December perfectly. Do you agree? And in your own writing, do you ever see a quote that sparks a story? It is a perfect quote for this book. I don't generally put quotes at the the beginning of mine, although the Merry Christmas Project was, um, I was trying to think about what the book 
was about, what the actual essence of the book was about. And um, I actually came up with, not I didn't come up with, William Shakespeare came up with it, um, but I sort of found a quote which um, from one of his sonnets, which uh, love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds. And that was really the essence of where I started with the Merry Christmas Project because Mary asks her boyfriend to marry her he says no, and she feels that it's up to her to change herself to be loved. And actually what the book explores is the fact that you shouldn't have to change yourself to be loved and that you should, you know, be by being yourself. That's all it, it it's, that's enough. So yes, I've, I've used a quote, but not had it ever printed in the front like, uh, like Emily has done in this case, but it's a lovely quote that she's chosen. I just love reading those because you, sometimes I read them at the beginning, sometimes I read them at the end, you know, I just want to dive straight into the story, but it, it does sort of summarize the story and you can see it's an insight into the author, like yourself, like where has this come from and what is it going to bring? So thank you for that. And thank you for choosing this wonderful book, Kathy. It's a kind of stay up all night kind of love story. And if you listeners want to grab a copy, then don't forget to swipe down to episode notes to find out how. Thanks so much, Kathy, for coming on the My Weekly Magical Flying Bookshop podcast. Do drop by again soon. Time at My Weekly's Magical Flying Bookshop has come to an end for this episode. Join us next time for more big name authors, stories and extracts read just for you and our favourite book recommendations landing wherever you are. Whether you're out with the dogs, in a pair of sturdy walking shoes, heading into work or cosied up at home in your comfiest slippers. If you love fiction, cooking and interviews with your favourite celebrities, then you'll love My Weekly. And as a listener to the Magical Flying Bookshop, you can try 13 issues of the print or digital magazine for just £6. Head to myweekly.co.uk forward slash podcasts or call 0800 318 846 and quote the offer code MWPOD. That's MWPOD to save more than 60% on the cover price. Check the episode notes for details and terms. That's all for now. Pick up your copy of My Weekly and escape with our fiction stories. And until you pop into the bookshop again, have a wonderful booktastic week. I'm Claire Gill and this was My Weekly's Magical Flying Bookshop, sponsored by Pavers, your perfect style. <laughs>